thank heaven for that city clerk who was able to uh, disperse a rioting crowd. I read this passage and I got to thinking a little bit about riots, crowds, demonstrations that I have seen and witnessed over the years or been a part of. And in fact, in the past 10 years, there have been some protest movements, some times of civil commotion. You may have read in the newspapers recently that it's just over 10 years since the global financial crash began with the US bank Lehman Brothers going bust. And, and in its wake around the world, there were waves of commotion and protest. Hello, gas engineer. <laughs> Welcome to our Tuesday lunchtime service. Um, as uh, there were waves of commotion and protest around the world as the cracks in the world's financial systems began to become more evident. It's like a living parable, isn't it? Like there's sudden commotion in our midst. I think he was Demetrius the silversmith coming to rally the people together. There was almost a pantomime moment with a, it's behind you. He's behind you. <laughs> One of the things that happened in the wake of the financial crash was that the power and the control that the financial services and the banks exercised over people's lives was begun, was begun to be seen in the light and some of the oppressive and exploitative practices, the ways in which it was rigged towards the benefit of those who profited most from the status quo began to be seen. And uh, movements like Occupy and others began to challenge the inherited systems of global finance. There was a sense in which there was a disruption, there was a commotion, and people were calling into question the way things were. Ten years on, and it's recently been acknowledged that very little has changed. Former Prime Minister Gordon Brown gave a speech a week or so ago in which he said that there's been fundamentally no change in our global financial systems. They bounce back, the rich carry on getting richer, the poor carry on getting poorer. Uh, the way of the world has continued. Now I say this to highlight one aspect of what seems to be going on in our Bible reading today, what the cause of this uh, commotion is. And it has to do with a challenge to the status quo, a, a challenge to the powers which are operating in the world as we know it. Before we get on to the, the juicy commotion of uh, the riot and uh, poor old Gaius and Aristarchus being seized and brought into the temple, we need to understand that this all begins because of Demetrius, a silversmith, a leader of silversmiths, great artisan, craftsman, who has accumulated for himself not an inconsiderable amount of wealth and power by being good at his craft. And what's his craft? making shrines for the uh, temple of Artemis, silver shrines, perhaps making little statuettes of um, Artemis, and being sold, making money. Demetrius is a powerful and wealthy silversmith. He's a leader in his community, a leader of the guild of silversmiths, if you like. He's a leader in technology, innovation, and commerce. Perhaps we might imagine that there are other leaders in the world today of technology, innovation, commerce, global figures, powerful men, usually men, who have accumulated for themselves influence in their wider community, status, and who don't take kindly to challenges to their power, to their wealth, to the practices which have given them such control and influence. Demetrius's power and wealth 
rely upon what Paul and the first followers of Jesus Christ know to be a false premise. Demetrius relies on the idea that gods made by human hands are indeed gods. If you remember the film Gladiator, some of you are too young to remember the film Gladiator, but at the beginning of the film Gladiator, um, the character played by Russell Crowe, Maximus, is preparing to go into battle, and on the eve of the battle, he goes into his dwelling and he uh, unfolds a little leather pouch and takes out his household gods, little figurines, uh, like the kind that children play with, molded, and sets them up with candles and incense and begins to pray to them for benefaction, for for good fortune in battle, for their protection. It seems so peculiar to our eyes and to our ears, and yet to take a created thing and to imbue it with divine power and to worship it, to sacrifice to it, to give money to it, to give credence to it, to give it control and influence over your life was common in the ancient world. I was recollecting earlier this morning how we were on holiday in the south of France over the summer and um, we went to visit a Roman amphitheatre uh, in Orange, brilliantly preserved place, uh, which the, the tour guide, or the, the sort of tour narrative as we went around, told us that in its heyday would gather 10,000 people there. And I started to get an idea of the kind of commotion of these scenes where people are gathered and huge crowds are, are, are gathered. And uh, on our way out through the gift shop, there was a little um, resin cast model of this amphitheater, which my son Seth fixated upon and uh, bought for himself. And I actually thought this was quite a good uh, use of his spending money. Rather than just buying sweets or chocolate, he bought something that he would remember this place by. But that almost stands as a kind of handy visual aid for me to think about what, what was it like to buy these things and to worship them, to give them power and control over you, to, to sacrifice your, your money, your time, your attention to these false gods. Well, what is the challenge? What's the challenge to Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen? It's the followers of the way. Look at verse 23. About that time there arose a great disturbance about the way. And they've capitalized the W. Because indeed that was what was the name, that was the name given to the first followers of Jesus. They were followers of the way. Remember Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Blind Bartimaeus sat there while Jesus was walking along the way and called out to him, have mercy on me. It was, a, it was a common name given to the first followers of Jesus Christ because they were living a new way of life. They were walking a different way. They were treading a different path. They were behaving differently. And followers of the way were saying, you don't need to buy these little silver shrines made by silversmiths to worship. You don't have to be a part of this system that life in Christ frees you from the structures of power and control in the world. It liberates you from the influence of the vested interests, those who will be powerful and wealthy at your expense. There is a new social order. So go on a thought experiment with me for a moment. What might it be in our day? What might be the great idol crafted by silversmiths that we take for granted? we believe is indispensable to our way of life and how might we undermine it or challenge it it could be all manner of things we could look at technological innovations we could look at communications innovations uh, we could think about um, housing property wealth power success status all these different things estimates 
reckon that around a third of the world's population are Christians, followers of Jesus Christ. We know that's not true in our city, in our neighbourhood, but imagine if such a sizable proportion of a society's population began to say no, began to say we, we don't have to do this anymore, we don't have to worship these false gods of our age, technology, instant communications, money, sex, relationships, status, power, because we're liberated by Christ. Well, that perhaps might cause a commotion, that might undermine some of the structures of our society and call them into question. And then the challenge for us is to identify Demetrius and to identify the silversmiths and to identify the silver shrines of our age. And then to turn to Jesus to pursue the freedom that he gives. Let's pray.